0: Over the next three weeks, we're going to be doing a mini-series to address a question a number of you and a number of your friends, mates, co-workers, acquaintances have had about how the Bible was assembled, how it was put together, how it was built. Because the Bible was written... Over the span of a couple of millennia or more, and by dozens of authors from different places with different jobs, locations, and in different literary forms. So you have some that write poetry, some like to write more story forms, some more of a historical form. On top of this, we're always, or at least occasionally, hearing about a new manuscript being found at some cave and also about. Old books that were left out of this Bible, which cast doubt on whether what we have here is, in fact, the real Bible, all of God's word to mankind. There's a pretty important issue, and again, one that causes an obstacle for many. So what I hope and pray is that we will see that God's process of building the Bible, what I hope it does is reassure those who trust its authority already, but also provide a vote of confidence to the skeptic. But today is more of an introduction to the Bible and to its purposes. Just got a little intro, and to that end, hey, we're going to begin with a game this morning. That's right. <laughs> and anyone can play, so I want you to raise your hand if you know the answer, and there will be prizes involved. I I need to be honest, Uh, they're not great prizes, Uh, candy, but it's not what you would call good candy, more of leftover Halloween candy, it's dum-dums, right, these little lollipops, usually you get from a doctor's office, that's all I have. So, you ready for this, let's do it. We're going to answer the question, what do these three things have in common? All right, so let's do this. Question number one: What do these three things have in common? Proton, neutron, electron. All right, no, I'm, no, I'm not going to let the scientist answer this. Although it is, try to start you out with an easy one. Is it Christian? No, Kenneth. Sorry, there in the back. Yes, that's right. An atom, or all parts of an atom. Very good. Very good first one there, that's from a a junior higher right there. Well done. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's another part of this game. I'll be throwing the dum-dums. So just to keep the game more interesting, you could get hit. (laughs) Anytime. So, just duck. Alright, next one. What do these three have in common? Alright, happy birthday to you. Roger Rabbit Daffy Duck, Duck. happy Happy birthday birthday to you, Roger Rabbit, Daffy Duck. That's right, a little more challenging. Some of you guys are getting a little puffed up, Bring you down a notch. What's that? No good guess. Uh, There's not a grammatical similarity between them with each having two of the same letters. Uh, that's, That's not where we're going. But that's a good guess. If no one else guesses right, you will win, Holly. All right, I think you win, Holly. There you go. The answer is they are all tunes. Happy birthday to you, Roger Rabbit, Daffy Duck, all tunes. Spelled T-U-N-E-S or T-O-N-S. Play on words. Gotta love it. <laughs> all right, what about these? What do these three have in common? We have a toy wagon, a weed. And a prank. What do these three have in common? Yes. Jeff Kummer. Indeed, they are all pranks. Very well done. It's good. By the way, I, everybody has caught these flaming throws that I've got to get their Church softball team. My goodness. It's impressive. All right, last one. What do these three have in common? Fire. Fire health, homeowners. That's right. All types of insurance. Very good. On this last one, we get insurance to protect us against fire, against illness, injury, against damage to homes, to protect us against outside forces that might temporarily or permanently alter our lives. Outside forces like the Bible? That's right, players. The Bible, which describes itself as a fire, a sword, and a hammer of destruction. Are you surprised? You might be. These are all things we would typically ensure ourselves against, protect ourselves from, truth be told, we often do, try to protect ourselves from what God's Word has to say. But it's why I think, and have often said, the Bible should come with warning labels, just to let people know what they're getting into before they open it up. It is not for the faint of heart. In fact, I'm going to give you a couple warning labels I think the Bible should come with this morning. Number one, first warning label should read, may cause temporary disfigurement. After all, that's what fire, swords, and hammers often do. Turn with me, if you would, to first to Jeremiah 23, starting in verse 26. Jeremiah 23, starting in verse 26. That's on page 551. If you're using one of the Bibles we have provided for you. Let's listen to God's Word and what He has to say to His people through the prophet Jeremiah. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? In other words, the other people who are claiming to speak God's word, who are speaking actual lies, and who prophesy the deceit in their own heart, who think to make my people, forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. It's basically an idol that they're worshiping instead of God. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat? declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire? declares the Lord. And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. So there we hear it God's word, a fire, and a hammer, but not a hammer for building a destructive hammer. Next passage we're going to turn to is Hebrews, chapter 4, starting in verse 12, Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, now that's going to be on page 862, we're using one of the Bibles we provided. By the way, I should mention it's the Bible specifically and very explicitly mentioned as a sword in Ephesians 6:17 that's another place you can look but we're going to look at Hebrews 4 starting in verse 12 For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What three things then do fire? A hammer of destruction, a sword, or a knife have in common? All three expose and cut away that which is false and impure. We hear it here in Hebrews, uh, most bluntly, that God's word divides thoughts and intentions. It exposes and cuts through these things. Those, in other words, thoughts and intentions, especially intentions, motivations, those things we think are secret from people, or maybe perhaps we don't even ourselves fully realize our own motivations and intentions. Those things are revealed, naked. The author says here, exposed. Something very humbling. And in many ways, just like surgery, isn't it? Our entire body, subject to someone else, laid out there on the table, with us, often unconscious. Vulnerable, only to know that in addition it'll be immediately painful and usually cause some type of temporary disfigurement before we heal. And it's not pleasant. Except that the ultimate aim of fire with metal is purification. The ultimate aim of this hammer is chipping away at mistakes made during construction and the ultimate aim of surgery is a removal of a cancer for healing and wholeness. God, through His Word, is restoring us to what we were meant to be. He means to heal us. In fact, in a nutshell, this morning, the sermon in a nutshell is the Bible may cause temporary disfigurement in order to produce permanent good. In reality, we're confronted with a surgical choice from the great physician here in the Bible. That is this. You can have the surgery. It'll be painful, produce temporary disfigurement, but will infinitely prolong your life. Or, you can continue another 30 years, another 20, 30 years with the life you have. I mean, that's a choice some really do have to face with physical surgery. Do I have this? It's risky. What will give me Life. And that's the choice we make with the Bible. It's going to cause some pain. You're not going to look the same. You're not going to be able to hold on to your life as you currently have it. And some of you prefer that. So I just want to be very honest with you. You don't want changes. And so as such... Be careful about reading the Bible. It comes with a warning link. So often we avoid picking up the Bible because we don't want to change. Uh, But there are a couple other reasons we don't want to pick up the Bible. A second reason is among the competing voices of, of, of our day, of all the voices we hear throughout the day, the Bible is the oldest. A few weeks ago a friend was explaining to me how he wanted to listen to this audio recording he had on tape. You know, kind of a book on tape, but only he didn't want it on tape, right? So he searched for hours online to find it in an MP3 format, so he could download to his iPod, or, and couldn't find it. So he searched a couple more days, and he said, "You know, man, I actually had the tape, and I had a Walkman at my desk. Remember Walkman?" That's right. He may have also had a boombox nearby, I don't know. But something, he said, something in me was refusing to listen to a tape. I think he, like most of us, has a problem with what C.S. Lewis rightly calls chronological snobbery. Because something or some idea is newer, it is therefore better and more relevant man I experienced this myself yesterday I wake up my kids are up early because of a time zone change and they just traveled the day before so you know they're up an hour earlier and so through the power and wonder of technology I put on a cartoon for them that I had recorded next thing I do just kind of crawl to my bathroom and Listen to a podcast while shaving. And then while eating a little bit later, I watch a news program I I'd recorded. And then finally pull out my smartphone to check my email. And one more thing, I pull up a file on my laptop to check after that. So, I am doing all of these things, these, these newer choices, because they seem superior. First, to start my day compared to the Bible. All right, I know some of you think you're the pastor, dude. Don't you just roll over and read the Bible? (laughs) Like it's a fourth pillow on my bed? (laughs) Uh, Not at all. It's a struggle for me. I see the bright, shiny, newer, more immediately relevant, it seems like things, and, and indulge in those first. Yet yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? when, when trials and temptations come, whether it's the larger sort or the daily trials and little temptations we experience, and we need counsel, or we need to dispense counsel to others. The new is powerless. I'm not hearkening back to the political advice I heard from Anderson Cooper on that on that uh, program I recorded earlier. Instead we revert to old sayings. You reap what you sow. What goes around comes around. Everything happens for a reason. The new doesn't help, by the way, those things all find their origin in the Bible. Galatians six seven, Romans eight twenty eight. New things are powerless generally to help us in those moments. In the moments of real life. The other reason we don't pick up the Bible is that among competing voices of the day, the Bible is the most distant. Let me explain what I mean. Compared to the nearness and familiarity of those whom we know, whose voices resonate with us every day, whether it be in person, over the phone, texting, through Facebook, Twitter, And one of the things we say, we often lean on something we picked up, that God speaks to us through other people, which is true, but it's always a little less true, and certainly less sure. What do I mean? Well, we can just go back to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 23. Read with me a little earlier from where we started last time, starting in verse 25. I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. In other words, I had a dream. I want to share it with you. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams, they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. I want you to notice here something. God is saying, for a moment, okay. Let's just assume the dream is legit. Go ahead. Let them tell the dream. Let's assume the dream is legit. The advice is from the heart. It's legit. I'm going to grant that. Then he says this. But what has straw... In common with wheat? Or, or what does chaff, you be know, more familiar with it, chaff have in common with wheat. Now the image here is of a chaff which, which grows up alongside with the wheat. But when the wheat is harvested, the farmer takes this, this winnowing fork, which is like an overgrown fork with three prongs, and he shovels up both the wheat and the chaff, and he throws both into the air. And what happens is the weightier grain falls to the threshing floor to preserve, while the the straw or the chaff just blows away in the wind of the Palestinian plains. In other words, when the junk hits the fan in your life, what's going to remain the wheat, the good stuff. Kind of saying, while straw might look good, while chaff might exist, and there's nothing inherently wrong with it, the thing that's going to remain is my word. You think it's most distant, but in reality, it's the only thing that lasts. A little bit of a tangent there. First warning label again it might cause temporary disfigurement but for our ultimate good and permanent good. Now, warning label number two, heavy equipment, handle with care. When you have heavy equipment, you got to handle with care. There's a I'll give be three ways you need to handle this heavy machinery, you know, the Bible, with, with some care. One, take care to know the equipment, you got to get to know this equipment. And <clears throat> first of all, to do that, you got to make a reading plan. I've, I mean, I've tried countless approaches other than a reading plan. You know, just being gracious to myself, merciful. As I've kind of internally had a plan and failed, I've you know, spirit leading me to different places in the Bible. You can do the expert guidance, which I've sought. But if I do not make a reading plan on paper or on you know online or something, I will consistently miss out on hearing from the God of the universe. It just won't happen. I will not end up picking up my Bible consistently, and, and I know the objection to that I want well, you know I've tried this before, and what ends up happening is I end up reading for the wrong reasons. You know, I start doing it out of obligation. I'm You know what, friends? That's a problem with the heart. And it's not a problem with the discipline of reading. You need to check your heart. Confess that before God and get your heart right. Not give up on the reading. Which is daily food for us. Far better to read while falling asleep or while on the can... You have to, and not at all, because you can't get the conditions to be ideal. So we'll give you uh, mybibleplans.com. You can choose your books, the time frame you want to read those books in. Uh, you have both the scripture, passage, and visual form and audio form sent to your email uh, every day before you wake up. Right now, for instance, I'm reading uh, the narrative or story parts of the Bible in one year. There's also, uh, for those of you more uh, technologically sophisticated and like apps, you got the U version, which has a good app. And you can find all of these, by the way, on our website under recommended resources if you forget them. But there's another one I want to tell you about. If you use one of these Bibles we provided in the chair pockets here, the front of the Bible, that's right, hold them up. If you look at the front of the Bible, uh, page 14, or XIV, XIV you got a 40-day Bible reading plan. And this is actually fantastic. It's designed to give this big picture understanding of what the Bible is really all about. So I'm going to encourage you. you know, we, we got we got some Bibles. Go ahead and take one. If you're serious about the next 40 days, reading the Bible every day, please take one of our Bibles. Take it home with you, you and go through that plan. It's terrific. So you got to make a reading plan and you got to work your reading plan. So first of all, the way you work your plan is you read. And as you read, you begin to ask questions to help you interpret and apply the Bible. Now, there's, uh, the sermon's not long enough to get into interpretation of Scripture. I'm just going to give you nine questions you can ask when you're reading the Bible. All right, these are great ones to have in terms of applying it to your life. Okay? Uh, is there a command to be obeyed. Is there a promise in what I'm reading here in scripture? Is there a promise to be believed? Is there a truth about God to be trusted? Is there a character trait character trait of God's to be praised? Is there a prayer to be prayed? A conviction of sin to be confessed? An example of sin or temptation to avoid, an idol to be removed, is there a need met in Christ? Because a lot of times when you're reading, particularly in the Old Testament, and you see people struggling through sin, and, but also the law and righteousness, you realize, oh, wow, this, there's a need here that can only be met with the coming of Jesus Christ. So these are some questions you can add. I'll probably put this on my blog later. But if you could get some of those down, that'd be great. But a third thing is allow yourself to be read and worked on. So we have make a reading plan, work your reading plan, and then allow yourself to be read and worked on. Because, yeah, we should ask good questions to help us interpret the Bible and apply it to our lives, but mainly the Bible is to interpret us. Allow it to ask you. Is there a command here you need to obey? Is there a promise that you need to get off your hind parts and finally need to trust? So take care to know your equipment in these ways. Also take care in handling the equipment. I mean, we've had pastors, leaders, uh, bishops, popes, kings, emperors, so many who have used this Bible for ill. And rather than recount all the ways this has happened and give examples, which there are many, let me just give a major way this was done for 1,500 years. The Bible, you see, was held back from being translated into people's indigenous language for about that length of time. It wasn't translated into English or to Spanish or to German or whoever one might live in the hands of leaders and scholars who knew Greek and Latin and Hebrew. And it wasn't until 1525 when William Tyndale had his English translation of the New Testament printed for common use where things started to change. And it wasn't easy. And we see by this how The power struggle raged because it wasn't as if it just said, oh, wow, we now have the ability to translate and print this, so we're going to do it. Instead, when he translates it, and when he offers to print it, he is exiled and killed for it. So we see that there was a price to be paid because there was a power struggle at work. Uh, admittedly, it, partly it took so long because the majority of the population for many years, if you were in a certain class, or, or was illiterate, but no doubt also because people wanted the power to interpret and enforce those parts of the Bible which were most advantageous to them. Now, I found myself trying to imagine what it would be like as a pastor to try to explain, to know how to love and follow Jesus when no one else in my congregation could read the words of the Bible. What would that be like to stand up here every week? I'm telling you, it would be nothing short of terrifying. Nothing short of terrifying. I, I do not trust myself friends, that kind of power. I wholeheartedly believe it would corrupt me. I'm so glad that you can go home and read this for yourself. In fact, I know there's there's a couple I was talking to somewhat recently who was telling me one of the things they love to do is, after listening to a message here, they go home and look up certain scriptures I didn't go over to see if what I was saying was true or just just see if it's on and, and, and what they think about it. Right on. Right on. Absolutely do that. That's so what a group of people called the Bereans did after listening to Paul read about it in the book of Acts. They go home and search the scriptures to see what Paul was saying was true. Isn't it great we can do that? For years, people couldn't. At of this cloud, people have not only lost confidence in teachers of the Bible, misusers of the Bible, but also lost confidence in the process of how it was put together. To finally take care to assemble the equipment. Over the next couple weeks, we are going to observe how the early church went to great pains under God's leading to assemble the Bible. So that as we get to know and begin to handle heavy equipment, we can be confident that it is the one book that can produce permanent good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the Bible. I pray you would give us the courage to open it. Even though we know it's going to cause temporary pain, some temporary disfigurement to our life, that will produce permanent good. Help us open it. Father, Help us get to know the heavy equipment that it is, Lord. Making a plan to read it, working that plan, and then letting it read and work on us. Father, we need your help for this, so we ask for it by your grace and to your glory in Jesus' name.